0: Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, I surrender. God, we uh, give you our hearts, we give you our minds. God, I pray that uh, you would just speak to our spirits this morning. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Well, Nehemiah, he had uh, left Susa. He had left the capital city of Persia. And since arriving in Jerusalem, he's been keeping a secret. It was a good secret. It was a necessary secret. But it was a secret. The secret was the wall, rebuilding the wall, was never the end game. In his heart, he knew it wasn't. They were rebuilding the, the walls of Jerusalem. It was critically important. We, we talked about uh, the last few weeks the reasons why building the wall was so important. But Nehemiah has been thinking about something that is far more important than stone walls. From the very first day, what Nehemiah wanted to do was build a community, he wanted to build a community inside the walls wanted to build a community that would relate to God, that would relate to each other, that would relate to the outside world in a new and a better way. Nehemiah's main purpose in Jerusalem was never just about physically building a a wall. Uh, It wasn't the physical construction project, so to speak. It was much more. It was a spiritual construction project that Nehemiah was interested in. We've been talking about leadership and a lot about leadership and what separates a good leader from a great leader. The book of Nehemiah has plenty of leadership insights. Uh, I've always turned to it uh, through the years. But we've seen that uh, sphere of influence when we're talking about leadership that all of us whether you realize it or not you lead you lead somewhere in your life and what I want us to do is think a little bit I want us to think about in business for instance what separates a good leader from a great leader see good leaders in the marketplace good leaders Are quite happy to uh, build and sell widgets, so to speak, for a profit. But a great leader wants to build more than that. Great leaders want to build a culture, they want to build a community uh, of highly functioning, deeply fulfilled, unified employees who build and sell fantastic widgets again so so to speak whatever the item is and they want to do it for a profit do you see the difference between a great and a, a good leader good leaders think mainly about product they think mainly about profits great leaders recognize the power of people the power of teams they they focus on building a very healthy Culture in whatever realm they're working in, they establish core values for, for that system. And they raise up kind of values that they want the community to live up to. And so great leaders believe that a great product and great profits flow from that community. This type of leader begins to understand that if they can build that... Then it's something that maybe can sustain itself for generations. How many of you have been reading the book of Nehemiah through the week? Okay. Well, if you've been reading it, one of the things you notice is that in the story, Nehemiah is more concerned with the people side of, of the project more than he is the product side. There, there's no doubt Nehemiah wants to build a sturdy wall. He wants to, a well-built wall. But Nehemiah spends most of his time devoted to the people side, building the people's vision, building the people's faith, keeping the people unified and motivated and inspired. Nehemiah do, does this because not only does he think that he can build a better wall that way, But Nehemiah knows that when the construction project is finished and completed, that he'll have a community of people. And that community of people will either be unified or they'll be divided. They'll be inspired or they'll be demoralized. They will either be filled with faith or they'll be shaking their fist in God's face. Nehemiah, he heard God's call. He heard that call. It was a call of duty for him to build a community of people who could relate to God, relate to each other, and relate outside the walls to that outside world in new and better ways. Scripture starts, starts verse 15 of chapter 6. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Eulah in 52 days in 52 days. Now, when I was reading it this week, I thought I could not remodel my bathroom in 52 days. I mean, this was a construction miracle here. So what did Nehemiah do after he finished? Did Did he take a victory lap? Did he head back to Persia? No. Nehemiah celebrates, and we're going to talk about that next week. But Nehemiah was still working. See, he still had some building to do, actually had a lot of building to do. He tells the people when they finish the wall, he says, clean up your tools, move into your homes, move back into your businesses, and await further notice. Nehemiah allows life to settle back in to a new norm, so to speak. And so things begin to to settle in. Nehemiah sets a date. He's going to have the entire population of Jerusalem come together. He has a, a huge platform that's built in the center of the city. It's a place so that everybody can see, they can hear. And finally, the day arrives. And so tens of thousands of people gather around this platform and they're listening, they, they, they're they waiting, the expectations are, are sky high. They're waiting for the show. I mean, what's the show? Well, Nehemiah's asked Ezra, the most respected spiritual leader of that day, he's asked Ezra to read scripture. Uninterrupted for six hours straight. When I read that, I thought... I never want to hear a complaint about how long our services are here. Never. <laughs> yeah, be thankful that uh, I'm leading instead of Nehemiah, huh? Ezra, Ezra reads scripture for six hours straight. There are no pyrotechnics, there are no videos, they didn't break things up, they didn't have artwork or PowerPoint or music, they didn't have a band that day, just a sincere and passionate reading of God's word, reading about God's faithfulness. Ezra reads the accounts where God had been faithful, how God had rescued the people of Israel from Egypt. He reads scripture about how God had given them the land, the promised land. How God had helped them take the promised land. He reminded the the people of God's faithfulness with with their ancestors, even though their ancestors had turned their back on God many times, even though sometimes worshiping other gods. Six hours straight stories of God's faithfulness, and after listening. scripture for those six hours you want to guess what happened people started getting emotional little section somewhere they begin crying pretty soon the entire crowd they're weeping and mourning and grieving it's a full surrender you know they, they lay it down before God they're overwhelmed they're overwhelmed by the compassion and the faithfulness of God throughout history as they've listened to it. They, they can't comprehend why in the world their ancestors would have been rebellious or, or sinful in the face of this wonderful, holy God. And so this emotion, it kind of grips the entire crowd. They, it kind of sweeps over the, the whole group of them. And, and no one knows what to do, it's kind of awkward. But Nehemiah responds. He says, Go, enjoy ch- choice food and sweet drink, and send some of those who have nothing prepared. You know, give them stuff to, to eat. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord your strength. Joy of the Lord your strength. Nehemiah doesn't take this opportunity to pile more guilt on the people. He doesn't use their emotional state to to manipulate them. No, Nehemiah is a very sensitive leader. He's sensitive to the people's condition, he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to to God's leading. And so, Nehemiah, being this great leader that he is, he has what uh, they call today uh, emotional intelligence. He knows when enough's enough. He knows what, what's supposed to have happened that day. I mean, the meeting was supposed to go all day long. But Nehemiah, because he understands what's happening, Nehemiah calls an audible at this point. He understands that the depth of sorrow and despair in the crowd, that it's kind of gone past that point of being helpful. It's gone past the point of repentance. In fact, it's moving into destructive levels. And so Nehemiah, he stops everything. He says, you've cried enough. I want everybody to go home. Go home, eat and drink, talk about what you've just heard, work through this stuff. And so what I want to do is just pause for a moment in the story because we've been talking about leaders and leadership and the importance of leadership. We've talked about the the only thing that God treasures in this world are people. God loves people. For God so loved the world, for God so loved people, God sent his son to die on a cross. For who? People. Because he wanted a relationship with us. God loves us that much. Jesus Christ spilled his blood to redeem people You and I have been adopted, if you're a Christian, you've been adopted into God's family, your sons and daughters. God, our Father, God loves people. Leaders have to get that. So when God entrusts you with his treasure, whatever that is, the people in your life that you lead, that you influence, you and I are leaders, we must, hear me, we must carefully and sincerely and sensitively love and deal with people, the people that God's put into our, to our lives. We should respect the people that we lead, every single one of them, no exception. We must do that as leaders. No matter where people are in the organizational chart, no matter what their giftedness is, no matter where they're at in their walk and maturity, we must treat every single person that we lead with dignity. We need to make sure that our systems, our our policies, whatever they are, that they're not just for some, but they're for everybody. You know, we, we should refuse as leaders to manipulate people period. And we should be generous. And we should be encouraging to the people that God has us lead. And friends, we should have a passion. Whatever area God's called you to in your leading and your influencing people, you should have a passion for helping them reach their full potential as God puts them in your life. Nehemiah. <laughs> He knows that the people are, have worked hard for 52 days. My guess is the, the people are exhausted, and Nehemiah knows that. Nehemiah knows that they're overwhelmed in this moment. They're overwhelmed by God's faithfulness. I think they're overwhelmed as they think about how their ancestors had, had turned against God at points. And they reach this point where they're emotionally just spent. Nehemiah says, enough. Stop the meeting, go home, eat, drink, talk it over. We will finish this meeting another day. That kind of emotional intelligence matters. As a leader, you should have emotional intelligence. It's um, part of what they call the trinity in leadership today. It includes uh, self-awareness. You know, learning agility and emotional intelligence. Those are the three things that you should have as a leader. You know, self-awareness. I mean, do you know your, yourself? Do you know your strengths and your weaknesses? Do you know when your strengths and weaknesses are working for you or when they're hurting you? Do you know when, when you're coming on too strong with people? Can, can you make that kind of self-correction before you do damage to the people around you? I mean, when when you understand those strengths and weaknesses, you know when you're not coming on strong enough. You're not dealing with a problem or an issue that God would have you deal with. That you don't have enough intensity, and you know you need to step up. You know you need to solve the problem. Self awareness, understanding yourself, is vital. It's understanding how you're being perceived in life. And then there's learning agility. You know, in today's world, how many of you have figured out it is a chaotic world today? (laughs) I mean, it's chaos out there. But as leaders, we, we have to adjust and adjust rapidly with that. There are all the uh, external uh, pressures that come, the, the economy of all, all those shifts and changes. Anybody that leads in the marketplace, in fact, how many of you lead in the marketplace? Let me see your hands. I mean, it's tough these days. Anybody that leads in that area knows that things can go very static for months at a time, that you've you got to figure out what the next step is. You're having to deal with curveballs often these days. But people with that learning agility, they shift. They figure out how to adjust. They, they can lead through the chaos. They, they can kind of connect the dots, so to speak. Usually they're innovative. They, they shift. They're very resourceful in life. But learning agility for a leader is vital. you got to figure out how to figure things out on the fly. You get creative. Why? Because you have to be creative. You kind of drag answers out of people. Why? Because you have to have answers. And people with that learning agility, to be honest, they can excel in almost any job because of that. It's a high skill level. And then there's the emotional intelligence. We've talked a little bit about it already, but that's when you can see the people you lead and you look past their blank stares. Like right now. (laughs) No, but you can look past the blank stares and you can see into their soul. You can see if they're with you or not. Do they understand or not? Are they on board with, with a vision? Or are they just nodding their heads? Good leaders can figure that out. Emotional intelligence allows leaders to redirect or recast or to to clarify something. I, I've got a good friend, uh, and uh, Jim is a great leader, and he has high emotional in- intelligence in his life. Uh, we we've kept each other accountable for years. We've sharpened each other, I, and he's got that emotional intelligence. And I remember uh, years ago, I'd, I'd stepped out of ministry. And word got around really quick that I had stepped out. This guy, without notice, he drives several hours. He didn't, he didn't email. He didn't text. He didn't call. He didn't even know if I'd be home. But he drove down. And when I, got, I pulled in my drive, he's sitting at my house. On the, he's sitting out on the steps. He's waiting for me. And he just, he said, hey, let's go get something to eat. He says, you don't have to talk if you don't want to. We can sit in silence. It's okay. He said, I just came down to be with you. Well, I did talk to him. We went to lunch. And I asked him, I said, dude, what would you have done if we'd have been gone for the weekend? He goes, I guess I would have been waiting a long time. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he didn't quote scripture that day. He didn't do anything except say, hey, I'm here for you. He stayed for the day and then he drove back home. But friends, that's something I'll never forget because his emotional intelligence said, I need to be there. And he did it. When you understand these traits of leadership, that self-awareness, that learning agility, that emotional intelligence... It will help you lead people higher and further than you ever dreamed in your life. Now, I'm going to say this one more time because I want to make it very, very clear as leaders. We must treasure people above everything. Treasure people that God treasures, which is all people. We must love the people we lead. We must discern their needs. We must adjust our plans from time to time. In other words, things aren't always going to go the way you want them to go. But we've got to show Christ like love to the people that have been entrusted to our care. Just have to. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, in the fifth century, he has all three of these leadership traits. He didn't go to Harvard, he didn't go to Stanford but he understood how to lead, and he's an amazing leader. And so back back to the story. You would think with the emotional intelligence that Nehemiah has, that what he would do, that it would be about making people comfortable, making things easier for, for the people that, that he's leading. But I want you to think again, because Nehemiah, after the people kind of recuperate from this uh, sadness spiral, you know, all the crying and everything, they went home, they've eaten and all that, Nehemiah calls a new meeting for everybody, meeting 2.0. This time, there's a little more variation. They they sing some songs that day. They worship, they pray. There's a lot more scripture reading that that goes on, but he kind of mixes it up. And it's all leading to this moment, this call of duty moment. Nehemiah is going to ask every single person in Jerusalem to make a fresh commitment to God. Now, you would think that that people who know God, who love God, wouldn't need to do this. I mean, you would think. But I will tell you, I figured out a long time ago, as a pastor, I need to do this. I need to do this often. Many of you would say you know the importance of recommitting to something, to to allow God to just restart with you, to say, you know what, God, you're first. I love you. I'm going to honor you with everything in me. Nehemiah senses that in Jerusalem, they need this kind of moment. And so Nehemiah and the, and the leaders remind the people, they remind the people of God's standard, God's standard when it comes to, to marriage and family and sabbath day observant and participating in the temple and giving the tithe and he just he takes them through all the pieces of what it means to be faithful to god a lot more scriptural principles he just goes on and on about how they're to live their lives according to god's word and then nehemiah issues this amazing challenge a call of duty challenge to to the people he says They joined with the officials and the relatives and make a solemn pledge to live by God's instruction, which was given by Moses, God's servant, and to observe faithfully, here we go, all the commands, all the judgments, and all the statues of our Lord God. All. And I read that and I think, wow, he's putting it on kind of thick, isn't he? I mean, how emotionally intelligent is Nehemiah that, that he asks everybody in Jerusalem, he says, let's be faithful, let's be meticulous in our obedience to God's commands and judgments and statues and, and acknowledge all of God's instructions, all of them. I mean, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be kinder to say, hey, I've got a couple suggestions maybe if you want to, do it. Uh, Maybe if you'd be willing to obey, I don't know, 75% of what God says, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? No, that's not what he does. He says 100%, 100% obedience, 100% of the time. Honor God 100% from now till the day we die. You would think a leader as sensitive as Nehemiah, and as caring as Nehemiah, that that he wouldn't demand so much. But do you know why he asked that? Because Nehemiah, to the core of his being, believes that everyone in the crowd that day could experience the best life by doing life God's way. In Nehemiah's mind, he's not asking the the people to follow a bunch of rules for no reason. See, Nehemiah believes that he's pointing them to the only life that's going to lead to anything. The only life that's going to lead to to freedom and meaning and and satisfaction. The only life that's going to matter when you get into eternity. It's eternal joy he's talking about. He's asking the people to go God's way because he believes it's absolutely the best way every area of their life if they just do it. And because they go God's way, God will protect them. God will protect them from senseless, self-destructive choices in their life, choices that will create unimaginable pain and suffering in their life. And I wonder, have you figured that out yet? Have you figured out that disobeying God is always more costly than following God? I mean, maybe in the short term, you know, short term, you might get by with some stuff. But long-term disobedience always, hear me, always, always will cost you more. I do not carry a single regret in my life for obedience. Now, listen to me very carefully here. I did not say it's always easy. I'm not saying that I don't carry some of the marks of moving forward in obedience. But what I'm saying is I do not regret. I do not have any regrets for the times that I've been obedient. I, I have no regrets for aligning my life with God's wisdom and God's word. Nehemiah. I believe that day was demonstrating sincere courage and love for the people by asking the people to make a 100% commitment to obeying God's word 100% of the time. It's kind of a loving and sincere challenge because he knows it's what's best for their life. And so Nehemiah, he decides he's going to put a little teeth in this. I encourage you to to read uh, the last half, half of the book, but he decides that he's going to pull out a covenant in written form, an obedience contract, a contract kind of like a lawyer would have put together. And, and so Nehemiah passes it out to everybody. He's going to have them sign on the dotted line that day. I mean, that's his plan. So, So everyone in Jerusalem, I want you to picture this, They have this covenant, 100% obedience to God contract. And Nehemiah steps up and says, I'm going to sign it first. Because, see, Nehemiah understood the need to recommit. And then he turns to the people and he says, Now it's your turn. And scripture says people started signing. I'll obey. I'll obey. God first, I'm in. God first in everything, all right. Every area of my life, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to do what he asks me to do. Wherever he asks me to go, I'll do it. Everyone's signing, 100% obedience to God. And I think it must have been quite a moment for Nehemiah. I mean, I wonder what he thought that night when when he went to bed. I mean, he heads to bed that night, and I wonder what what he was thinking. I think he probably was thinking about everything that had happened, and he's thinking, you know, it wasn't tough getting people to build the wall. That was a good thing, but it is not near as significant as watching people sign. obedience to God contract. The wall, it was a 50-day project, 52-day project. People signing? That was a lifetime commitment. It has eternal value. The wall will come down someday, but this is going to last. And maybe, just maybe, right before Nehemiah fell to sleep that night, Just maybe he said, thank you, God, for calling me. Thank you, God, for calling me to be a leader. Wherever you lead, and everybody here leads somewhere. Wherever you lead, you know the challenges, or you're figuring them out. You know the pressures. Anybody that's been leading for a long time, you know the downside of leadership. I mean, the responsibility, the visibility. Yet, there is a tremendous privilege when God calls you and allows you to lead, to build a team, to build a ministry, to build into somebody's life. I mean, to watch people get on board and grow and mature and get on fire for whatever. Leadership is an a, incredible, amazing privilege. And you ought to know that. So when you lead, lead with God. When you lead, whether you lead in this church or you lead out in the the marketplace or the workplace, whether you're a department head or a manager, you know, whether you own your own company, you're a CEO or a president or a, a parent, you know, whether you're an executive, whatever, wherever you are, you know, coach, teacher, Wherever you lead, lead and thank God. I mean, have you thanked God that he's entrusted you with leadership in the area that you lead? Have you thanked God that he's entrusted you with what he treasures the most, and that's people? I mean, have you thanked God recently for making you a leader? And are you responding to the challenge of leadership in a God-honoring way. You know, the Apostle Paul, he challenges leaders who have that gift of leadership. Uh, Romans 12, he talks about, if you have the gift to lead, do it with diligence. In other words, do it with a passion. Work at it. Get better at it. Why? Because you're, you're marking people's lives. You know, you get better at leading by reading about leadership you get better at leading by going places where leadership's taught by getting around other leaders you know parents ought to get around other parents so you can become better parents because you're leading but leaders keep leading and they keep growing and they keep working at it and here's what i believe everyone wins when a leader gets better everybody wins with that Nehemiah, he presents this 100% obedience contract. He says, will you obey? Will you obey carefully? Will you obey faithfully all God's commands, all God's ways? Will you do that? And I'll be honest, I thought about. I thought about printing up a 100% obedience contract and just passing it out, see if you'd sign it. I thought about it. But then I got that little hesitancy, you know. A little hesitancy in my spirit. And so I thought instead of signing it, we'd sing it. We sang it earlier, right before the message. I surrender. I lay my life down at your feet. God of mercy, you are worthy. I give you every part of me. 100% commitment. God, I give it to you, all to you. We all need to do that once in a while. Some of you maybe have never done it. Need to do it. And I want to say something to the 75 percenters. Yeah, you know, say, say I do 75 percent. It's good. Well, friends, here's the deal: the 25 percent of your life that you've not surrendered to God, that you kind of keep God out of, that 25 percent will cause you tremendous heartache someday, if it hasn't already. You know, is God first? Is God first in your life? Is God first in your your marriage? Is God first in, in your family? When you go to work on Monday or whenever you head to work, is God first in your work life? Do you work as though you're working to God instead of the company? I mean, is God first when it comes to your schedule in life, your recreation life? Is God first when it comes to your finances? Is God first in in your life in every single area? Do you obey God? God's way, every way. Notice I didn't say sometimes, I didn't say, oh, when it's convenient. But 100% of the time, do you strive for that? And you've heard me say this many, many times. If God is not Lord of all, God's not Lord at all. So here, here's an opportunity today. I hope you'll take it with me. Opportunity to say, you know what, God? New day. I'm opening my life up 100%. 100% obedience, 100% God-honoring. You call, you say, I'll do, whatever. And I want to remind you, every time you take a step in your life toward God, there is always opposition. Always. Always opposition. I mean, maybe from, from friends, family, There may be even opposition from other Christians. That one was hard for me initially to realize other Christians aren't happy sometimes when you step up. Why? Well, they're uncomfortable because you're stepping up and they're not. I mean, for some of you, you just got to get to a point because I know how this goes. People get in your head and they go... Hey, don't, don't get so serious about this. I mean, you, you do 75% of it. It's like, well, crazy. I want you to be 100% God-honoring in your life. You got to get the courage and the strength with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you just got to say, you know what? You do not have to come with me. But I have to follow 100 percent of the time. It's what God's called me to. So commit, recommit. I surrender. I lay my life at your feet. God of mercy. You're worthy. I give you every part of me. So here's how we're going to do. I'm going to pray in a moment, then band's going to come join. we're going to worship. I want you just to remain seated, and maybe you've never made that kind of commitment to God, but it, you feel like, yeah, I need to need to do. At whatever point during the song, if you want to stand and sing, then take that step. Maybe you need to recommit. I know I do. Do that every now and then. I just say, okay, God, new day. I need to restart. Then at some point. Just stand up and and sing the words, sing the words to God, and say, "You know what? I've been slipping a little here, or got it. Maybe everything's been going good, but I need more strength. I want to I want to go that next level of commitment with you. Call of duty this morning. So let, let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. You are faithful." And God, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would just move in us. And I know there are some here that have never taken that step of committing themselves to you. God, I pray they would hear that call. That they'd take that step. And God, I know there are many here today. It may have been 40 or 50 years ago we took that step. Or it may have been last year. But God, I pray that uh, we'd acknowledge our need to recommit. To step it up a little bit. God, I pray your spirit would move that uh, we'd be a community of faith. that It would change how we relate to each other. How we relate to you. And how we relate to those in our community, at our workplaces. God, use us. May we make a difference in this world. We give you the glory and the praise this day, in God's people sin. So just remain seated. Let's worship together. If you've so moved, stand as a kind of a symbol of recommitment. You want to put some real teeth in it afterwards, there'll be prayer teams down. Just come down and say New Day, and they'll, they'll just pray a, a prayer of uh, recommitment with you this morning. So let's worship.